Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyover Labs, and today we are we get to talk to Sachin Chitta. And Sachin is founder and CEO of Kinema Systems, and what they're doing is pretty cool. They are a robotic startup in a Silicon Valley, and they're building advanced robotic manipulation applications. And their initial product, Kinema Pick, is the world's first self-training, self-calibrating software solution for robotic depalletizing. So essentially, they take stuff off pallets, and that's a tough problem for a robot to crack. But Sachin has a long history of robotics manipulation at SRI and Willow Garage, and he received his PhD in 2005 from the University of Pennsylvania. So I invited Sachin on the show because I'm interested in what he's done and doing now around, around robotic manipulation and curious how he does it. So uh, Sachin, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me on the show. Definitely. And uh, before we kind of talk about what we're working on now, can you give us a little um, bit about your background? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, I have a PhD in uh, in mechanical engineering, actually, uh, from Penn. Um, I uh, After I did my bachelor's, uh, again, in mechanical engineering from, uh, from India, I came over to Penn and worked at the GRASP lab. Uh, which is a pretty famous lab, uh, pretty old, uh, where there's lots of cool stuff in, um, <laughs> uh, manipulation, uh, drones, uh, locomotion, uh, all kinds of things. So I worked there, uh, did a postdoc there as well, um, and worked on, uh, a program called Little Dog, uh, which was a small, uh, robot, uh, kind of like Big Dog, but a smaller version of that. Um, and we were trying to train it to go over rough terrain. Um, after that, uh, I went to Willow Garage, uh, where I was part of, uh, so I was one of the early employees there, um, and actually went through all the projects uh, that Willow did, uh, which wow. uh, most people have not heard of, um, including an autonomous car and an autonomous boat project. Um, but eventually... Um, you know, we ended up working on uh, the Pier 2 robot and the robot operating system. And at Willow, uh, I led the group that developed um, all the manipulation components, uh, in particular, two software frameworks uh, called ARM Navigation, and then uh, that uh, evolved into MoveIt, uh, which became the most popular open source uh, software for manipulation. Um, and also, uh, there was another project uh, that I led called Ross Control. This was intended more for people who were building their own robots and needed controllers for it. Um, and we wanted to create a nice uh, set of, uh, a nice library that they could just use. Um, so after Willow Garage shut down, I went to SRI. Um, which is a pretty famous uh, nonprofit research lab uh, in the Bay Area. Um, there's uh, lots of cool technology that has come out of there, including Siri and Intune uh, Surgical. Uh, and at SRI, among other things, uh, I was leading the the software in the robotics group there. Um, 
uh, and we developed technology that uh, eventually became uh, Warp Surgical, which is a medical robotics company, a joint venture between uh, Google and uh, Johnson and Johnson. Hmm. After that, um, um, along with a colleague of mine who uh, the two of us had worked together since Willow Garage, we created Kinema Systems. Uh, and since then, I've been working at Kinema. Hmm. Well, it's quite a background in robotics. We could we could spend the whole podcast just going over all those projects you worked on. Oh, my. Uh, you're kind of in the middle of it out there. Uh, interesting. So I guess you know, what was one or two kind of your, I don't know if favorite's the right word, but more meaningful projects or projects where you really kind of changed your perspective on robotics or really enjoyed it um, in your past? I think I've enjoyed all my projects. They've all been fun. Um, I think the ones that uh, have had the largest impact uh, at Ant Willow Garage and, and at SRI um, have been uh, particularly enjoyable because um, it was clear that uh, we were doing something that would be useful, uh, not just for us, but for um, a lot of people who, who are getting into robotics uh, and, and enabling new applications. So doing Bluvit or creating this framework at Willow Garage um, was extremely satisfying um, because we knew that there were hundreds, if not thousands of people out there looking for the software platforms that they could program their robots with um, and it didn't exist in a nice way uh, where they could just take it and and incorporate it into their robots. So that was, uh, I think, for for a lot of us, very satisfying to be involved in a project like that. And then at SRI, doing uh, a lot of the medical robotic stuff was was incredibly satisfying because uh, of the impact that uh, medical robots have on the world um, and and looking at new ways uh, of how um, we can get this technology uh, and change the way that uh, surgeons uh, use uh, medical robots. Can, and, and maybe it's confidential, but if it's not, can you, can you share some of the projects you worked on at SRI around robotic uh, surgery? Um, the, so apart from uh, saying that this was new, uh, you know, this technology got licensed to work surgical, everything else uh, and all other information regarding that is confidential. Okay, gotcha. All right, fair enough. <laughs> um, and then uh, can you tell us a little bit more, since it's definitely applicable to Kinema, that, about the Move It and what you created and, you know, around um, kind of the software for manipulation and uh, how how did people develop kind of manipulation robotics before, and then how can they use Move It now to make their life easier? So um, for the longest time, uh, manipulation uh, has been um, you know strongly associated with uh, commercial systems. So uh, there's lots of in industrial robot. Uh, manufacturers and each one has their own software and framework that you can use with their robots. Um, the frameworks are proprietary, so uh, unless you're using the robot, you can't really get access to that software 
And this was, you know, as people started building more and more innovative robots, uh, including at Willow with the PR2 and other projects, um, there was definitely, uh, you know, there was a, a shortcoming that we didn't have the software that you could use to control these robots and do uh, new kinds of tasks that go beyond uh, what was already there. Um, and so our goal was to create something that uh, was open source, so it was easy for people to incorporate into their projects, um, but also very capable and uh, let people do things beyond uh, what was traditionally being done uh, with industrial systems. Um, and that's that's why we created MoveIt. Um, and MoveIt had uh, components that would let you um, integrate with new hardware, um, new robots in particular, um, or with even with existing robots and bring some of this new technology into them. So um, it was what we called robot agnostic. Uh, you didn't have to worry about which, um, you know, vendor you had bought the robot from or if you had made it yourself. Uh, you could build up uh, the robot model and then be able to do cool things with it uh, almost immediately. Hmm. Um, and one of the key things that Movit provided was what's, uh, what's known as motion planning. Um, traditionally, robots are programmed by telling them every single waypoint uh, that they need to go through. That's how industrial robots are still programmed. Um, with MoveIt, that changed, where now instead of uh, telling it you need to take this path, you just tell it, this is where you are and this is where you need to go. And uh, you give it an idea of what's around uh, the robot, and the framework does all that planning for you. And this was a wow. huge change wow. because you no longer had to uh, you know, rely on robotics experts or someone uh, to be able to do this uh, for you. You could just do it on your own. That's really interesting. Can you, can you give a, a use case of a kind of um, how MoveIt would help um, kind of with that, that planning, that motion planning um, versus not using it? And maybe, maybe, yeah, definitely. Go ahead. <laughs> um, there's lots of examples, um, but in particular, anytime you have um, uh, most uh, robots cannot deal with changes in the environment. So uh, if somebody's walking into, imagine like a household robot that's going around and trying to do stuff. Uh, and if somebody's walking by it or um, you know, put, putting new things uh, on the table or uh, or um, moving a piece of furniture or a chair rolling by, uh, a robot, um, traditional robots would not be able to react to something like that. Now with a framework like MoveIt, um, when you're doing manipulation, uh, you can build a map of the environment and can continuously update it so you know where everything is and you can get your arm to react to those changes, mm. and that way uh, you will not be colliding with, with anything there. So whether it's a household robot or in industrial systems uh, where um, 
you know, the 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 scene is constantly changing. What's around the robot is constantly changing. Uh, you would be able to do this uh, and not have to rely on fixed paths. Hmm. If you were solely reliant on fixed paths and then suddenly something got in the way there, um, in traditional systems, there's no way to get around that. You just hit what's there. Um, but with uh, frameworks like MoveIt, you can now go around that on the fly. So the, the MoveIt framework must connect with the vision system. Um, but, I, but I imagine the vision system is different on every robot. So I suppose you might have to calibrate, I guess, is uh, how you'd set it up, or how does that work? Uh, typically, when you do things uh, like the like this, you abstract uh, the the uh, the data that you're dealing with. So you can plug in different kinds of vision systems uh, and still be able to do, use this framework. And uh, with with frameworks like MoveIt, you uh, typically use 3D um, information, okay. uh, and that 3D information is uh, represented as a point cloud. So. Um, you get that information in regardless of what type of sensor you're using and then use that information to build uh, some kind of representation of what's around you. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, let's, uh, I could, we could keep talking about that all day, but let's talk about the kinema. But before we do, I'm, I'm curious, how did you originally get interested in robotics way back in the day? Um, my dad is actually a robotics professor oh. in India. Oh, uh, cool. So it kind of uh, happened almost naturally, you could say. Um, <laughs> I was always interested in uh, things that move, things that um, you know, affect the environment and, and can actually uh, do uh, do tasks. Uh, and that's how my interest into robotics came up. Hmm. Did uh did your dad expose you to robots quite a bit growing up? You know, did you have robots like at, at your house or? <laughs> we yeah, we did have uh, robots. Uh, we had robotic kits in the house. Uh, we had we uh, I built uh, some robots as well. Uh, and of course, uh, in my dad's lab, there were always uh, robots, uh, robot arms, uh, including the Puma. Uh, which is one of the early successful mm-hmm. industrial robots uh, that that you don't see too many of them anymore. But uh, that was one of the robots he had in his lab as well. Um, so there was a lot of exposure uh, to robotic systems pretty early for me. Yeah, what a what a, a fun uh, upbringing. <laughs> That's cool. Um, so let's talk about the kinema a little bit. Can you can you give us a I, I tried to give a, a brief overview, but can you give us an overview and tell us a little bit, but um, a little background, who's on your team, and uh, you know, are you working with any partners? Um, yeah, that'd be great. Just a little overview. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, Kinema Systems, uh, we're we're developing uh, software software solutions, uh, and our initial target market is. Um, Robotic picking—it's uh, one of the the most um, uh, the most uh, common tasks that robots uh, already do in industry. Um, but uh, there's a lot of uh, cases where uh, the current technology is not able to deal with 
the variety uh, and the lack of structure. Um, and particularly with uh, logistics and e-commerce, um, you you no longer have just uniform objects that you can pick. Everything is different uh, in a uh, in a pallet or a bin or or any kind of storage. Um, and so, doing robotic picking in the in those kinds of scenarios was not possible uh, or has not uh, been done yet. Uh, and that's basically the biggest differentiator we bring to the table is dealing with these situations where there's lack of structure uh, or there's variety so that we can address the, the actual problems um, facing uh, logistics, uh, warehouses, shipping, and uh, even uh, in manufacturing as well. Um, our first product is uh, it's called Kinema Pick, uh, and um, is targeted towards uh, depalletizing. So depalletizing is where you have a bunch of boxes uh, on a pallet and typically they're removed uh, or they're uh, depalletized onto a conveyor or a set of conveyors. Um, if the pallet were uniform, as in all the boxes were all, always the same, uh, this would not be... Uh, too hard a task, but uh, there's lots of mixed skew pallets uh, or single skew pallets where you don't know which uh, box is on the pallet. Uh, and in situations like these, Kinema Pick, uh, we think is uh, is uh, one of the few or maybe the only solution uh, that offers an actual uh, way to target uh, depalletizing. And the, the videos you have are, are- are pretty cool. We'll have to post those with the podcast that you have of the the robot depalletizing. It's a yeah, it's definitely looks like the future. yeah definitely <laughs> yeah definitely. Um, and and to create those, uh, we actually um, a lot of people do look at depalletizing, but they'll look at very standard nice boxes. Um, what we did is uh, we're actually in an industrial area here, so we just went around. We've got distributors in our area uh, who get a lot of boxes. And so we went to them and got actual boxes that would be fairly battered. Um, so not not at all an easy problem to handle. Uh, but the key was we, uh, we wanted to make sure we're testing uh, initially with real stuff. Uh, and so uh, if you look at a lot of the boxes there, they're in pretty bad shape. Uh, and still, our system is able to robustly pick them. Definitely, and and who's on your team right now? So, so I started Kinema with um, a colleague of mine, Dave Hirschberger, uh, who uh, we worked together since the Villa Garage days. Um, and Dave uh, worked on um, what's often called the most popular component of the robot operating system. It's called Arvis. Um, and is a fantastic uh, engineer, uh, and uh, we've been working together uh, on this for a while now. So he, he's my co-founder, and then uh, we also have um, fantastic vision people, so vision and 3D perception, um, and we also hired automation people uh, who 
have the experience deploying these systems uh, on actual factory floors. Hmm, interesting. And so how did you create the first uh, Kinema pick? Um, did, uh, I mean, I guess that's kind of a, a broad question, but, you know, had, had you raised money at that point and did you kind of um, create like a prototype in order to raise money or how did that whole process work to get the first one going? Uh, we have raised uh, money, uh, so we we have raised money from uh, Silicon Valley VCs, uh, and uh, we used the, that initial funding to basically build an initial prototype and then move up to uh, a larger size robot uh, and build a complete product. And um, when we started, um, we actually looked at a bunch of different industrial tasks, um, and we, and we talked extensively to customers and asked them, you know, what are the tasks that where you have the biggest need, uh, but the the solutions are just not there. So we got a fairly large list, five to ten tasks from each of these customers, uh, and picking uh, came up to the top to the top quite a bit. And once we decided we were going to do something in picking, uh, we again zoned down and again talked to customers and said, um, you know, there's lots of flavors of tasks that you can do in picking. And we zoned down and said, uh, which ones are the most important? Uh, identified those, and that's how we came to be palletizing. Mm-hmm. Um, and once we had done that, uh, we built up uh, the product uh, again, talking to customers about how the layout would look and what the typical features of the product need to be uh, and use that information uh, to create the product. Gotcha. And how does the Kinema Pick uh, work? Let's say you're you know, bringing it into a manufacturing plant or distribution center. And uh, can you describe what type of training is required and um, how do you uh, get it set up and going? Kinema pick is uh, what we call self-calibrating and self-training. Um, and one thing that was high on our uh, feature list right from the beginning is to make it easy to apply. A lot of robotic solutions require a lot of training, a lot of hand-holding, uh, and we wanted to create something uh, that would be much, much easier for end users um, or even system integrators to deploy. Um, and so that's why we built in this capability to self-calibrate uh, and self-train. Uh, the the way the process starts is uh, you choose the robot and you say, okay, this is where I'm going to install the, the work cell. We've got a GUI uh, in which people, uh, the end users can build up uh, a model of the work cell, so that way the robot knows uh, what's around it. Um, and uh, then there's a simple, really simple uh, training step where you tell it where it's picking from. So you tell it approximately where the pallet is, and uh, you tell it where it's dropping off. So you tell it where the conveyor is. Uh, and there's uh, one more step which is calibrating the camera to the robot, and that happens automatically. You mm. put a target in its hand, you press a button, and it calibrates itself. After that, 
it's quite literally you put a pallet in front of it and you just say go and the robot starts picking. Wow. That's amazing. And uh and and do you have these in production now or are they on in manufacturing plants right now? Or do you have we do we do have them uh deployed now. Uh and we're starting to look at uh um, we, we have a lot of uh, traction and interest, so we're starting to look at uh, more uh, production installs over the course of this year and early next year. Um, and uh, we're also doing it internationally. Huh, interesting. And, and uh, let's see, can you tell me? Oh, yeah, I was curious about safety. You know, how. When, at least in the video, it looks like you can kind of walk around this robot. It's not necessarily caged off. Um, how do you uh, handle the safety issue? So uh, these robots are fairly big and fast. Um, and there are... Uh, uh, usually you would put an actual safety fence. Uh, just for the video, we don't have it. Okay. But okay. when you actually do deployment, you would have to put a safety fence around this robot. That's good. Um, <laughs> especially because... Uh, they, they move fast, uh, and they need to move fast because uh, our end customers want uh, good cycle times, fast cycle times, so they can get the, the product out uh, or into their warehouse uh, as quickly as possible. How, how fast can it uh, depalletize compared to a human? Um, do you have those numbers if they're uh, public? <laughs> Yeah, um, in in general, uh, these systems have to be fairly fast. But um, the average numbers we've uh, gotten requests for can range per per box can range anywhere between four to about eight or even ten seconds per box, okay. uh, which is uh, pretty fast. Um, and that uh, that tends to also approximate. Um, how fast a, a person can do it. The heavier the boxes, of course, uh, the more time uh, it takes. Um, and actually, the, the more um, intensive it is for a person to do it. Uh, for, whereas for a robot, uh, it's, you know, it's not uh, very difficult for it to lift heavy weights. Uh, and that's where we think uh, these robots would make a, a huge difference um, is that they'd, they'd help uh, protect uh, workers uh, or end customers from having to pick some of these large, mm -hmm. heavy boxes mm -hmm. that they have to do right now. No, that makes sense. And can you tell us uh, how the KinemaPick works? Uh, I mean, you don't have to get into the very narrow details, but uh, you know what type of sensors are on there and... Uh, how does it take in? I imagine you're using a Ross <laughs> and and uh, um, uh, and and probably move it, but uh, yeah, can you kind of give give us a feel for how it works? Um, we've actually been moving away from from Ross and move it. Um, okay. We we started kind of doing that consciously, uh, and at this point, uh, we have a fairly large amount of uh, our own IP that's been developed at Kinema in the system. Um, and we use a combination of 3D and 2D sensing uh, to to find 
uh, the boxes. Um, and it's overall, it's a fairly simple structure, and we wanted to keep it that way. It's all off-the-shelf hardware. Uh, we don't uh, make uh, any of our special hardware. We, we're essentially putting stuff together. Um, and we deliberately did it that way uh, to keep uh, this the system simpler. The more hardware, custom hardware that you have to build, more uh, complex the system can get. Um, and our focus has been uh, on the software. Uh, so the the perception and the motion planning uh, so that we can uh, create this differentiated solution uh, for the end customer. Gotcha. And did you move away from Ross and move it because of a, a, the IP issue? Is that... Or do you want more control? Or no, I think it's uh, it's just a natural thing that happens uh, when you start developing a product. Ross um, and Movit have been great platforms for uh, for research. Okay. Um, but once you start focusing on, especially industrial grade products, uh, you have to uh, you know take you do have to take more control of individual comp- components. Uh, you want uh, to improve uh, on on what's already out there, um, and the framework or the the architecture might not be the right one for particular things that uh, we are looking at. So all those contributed to us, um, you know, focusing on our problem at hand and trying to design the best. Uh, architecture and the best system for that, um, Pros and Moveit are great platforms for uh, more general robotic systems. Um, but uh, once you have the need to optimize for the particular set of tasks you're doing, uh, I think most people will find themselves naturally moving uh, away from from that those architectures and um, and finding a lot of new things that they have to implement uh, to to create these deployable systems. Gotcha. Okay. And what what's your uh, vision over the next five years? You know, wh- how do you want to improve uh, the Kinema Pick, or are you working on other robots around manipulation that you want to deploy eventually? Our focus is going to be on manipulation, um, and it's. Um, it's a huge market. Uh, it's just uh, it's crazy to try and even quantify it. <laughs> okay. um, it's not. It's beyond a billion dollar opportunity uh, because uh, you look at commerce and trade, and it's basically things in motion, uh, things moving from one country to the other, one city to the other, warehouse to warehouse, and then warehouse to store. Um, there's a huge opportunity for robotics uh, and manipulation to make a difference. And it's uh, underserved right now. Uh, There's not many companies. There's all the traditional robotic companies and the traditional vendors, but there's a bunch of tasks where you need more interaction with the environment, more feedback from the environment that you can get from um, a lot of these new 3D sensors. Um, and you need the smarts to be able to 
taking take advantage of that information to do tasks that were not possible before. Um, and it, especially manipulation is uh, is not an easy problem because you are uh, you're literally affecting the world. Uh, you're contacting the world, mm-hmm. uh, and that makes it very different from uh, other problems. And we think there's but with that uh, comes the opportunity, which is just huge uh, in terms of robotic picking uh, in, like I mentioned, there's different flavors of robotic picking and different kinds of things you'd have to do uh, from depalletizing, palletizing, uh, picking individual objects, uh, and, and lots of things beyond that. So just picking itself, we think, will keep us busy uh, for quite a while. And our vision is to be the robotic picking solution uh, in the world. So anytime people come up to a problem where they need to pick something and they say, um, you know, we can't do this with any of the traditional techniques, we want them to think that, okay, kinema pick is the solution for this. Hmm. Interesting. That's a good future. Because yeah, didn't, didn't Amazon have a picking challenge? It's a lot It's different than... Uh what you guys are doing with pallets, but, uh, um. yeah, um, I was, uh, actually in, in the first challenge, uh, I was one of the co-organizers really? uh, right. of the Amazon picking challenge. Uh, yeah, it was at a big conference, the, uh, a big robotics conference. Um, and, uh, they were looking, they wanted to look at how, um, robots could take from, uh, essentially Kiva shelves. Um, it's it's an incredibly complex problem, um, and there's lots of things that are very hard for robots and pretty easy for people to do. Um, and so it's going to take a fair amount of work uh, to come up with solutions uh, for tasks like that. Um, people are just uh, you know, incredibly creative, uh, incredibly flexible, and um, uh, robots are not yet, uh, and and uh, it's going to take a lot of work to 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 automate tasks like that. Gotcha. Interesting. Okay, not surprised you're a part of that. I guess uh, the the Amazon pick, picking challenge. And uh, so we're almost out of time here. And the the last question I had for you was I was curious how you continue uh, to learn and like find new ideas. Are you talking to your team? Are you talking to people in industry? Are you reading? journals or papers you know what do you do to kind of stay on the cutting edge as much as possible uh, we keep uh, in touch with the community uh, we um, a lot of us have deep roots into the research community uh, and and the academic community we uh, we sponsor things at conferences so we go to conferences and uh, that gives us um, an opportunity to talk to uh, to students who have the newest ideas or to faculty who have the newest ideas. Um, we go to trade shows, uh, and that gives us an opportunity to see what's newest on on the application side. Um, and yes, we do read papers and journals uh, just to keep uh, keep in touch with what what's going on and what's the latest uh, coming out. 
Um, and and in, in today's world, it's fairly easy uh, to get all that knowledge uh, that you need just on the Internet. So we make an effort to stay as up-to-date as we can. Um, you know, we, we look at uh, the, the newest tools coming out, whether it's for machine learning or whether it's for motion planning or 3D perception. Uh, we keep an eye on all that. Uh, just by connect, making sure we stay connected to the community. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I think that's a good way to end this podcast. And uh, Sachin, I definitely appreciate your time and hearing about your experience and your thoughts on the, the future of robotics. It, you have quite a past, so was, I know I learned a lot, and I, I'm sure the rest of the audience did too. Thank you very much for having me. This was very enjoyable. Definitely, and uh, thanks to everyone for for listening to another episode of Flyover Labs. As always, I appreciate it, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, uh, Sachin. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you.